It's the fifth week in Ordinary Time, and all the readings this weekend have to do with the call. I can't stop thinking about vocations. The first reading is about Isaiah's call. Then, St. Paul writes to the Corinthians and tells them about his call. And then we hear the Gospel passage when Jesus calls Peter. Each one of them has a humbling experience when called. They all feel inadequate. They become very aware of their sinfulness. I guess that's what happens when we're in the presence of God. But these calls don't happen in a vacuum. Each one of them first has a personal encounter, and that's what happens to all of us. Jesus comes to encounter us. He comes to meet us. Only after we've had a personal encounter with Christ, it is that we hear the call. And your call is just the same. It's not just for priests and people in religious life. It's for all of us. Remember the universal call to holiness? That's why I'm thinking about vocation. Because each one of us has been called to a specific vocation in which we can best become holy. Whether it's the single life, the religious life, the ordained life, or the married life. Now most of us are called to the married life. And so that's where we can become holy. Imagine, God has given you your husband or your wife to help you be holy. What a beautiful thing. And so, as we go into this week, which will be the beginning of Lent, but also with Valentine's Day, look at where God has called you and take the plunge. Go out into the deep. Say yes to being holy. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I want to tell you about my Great Year of Faith Challenge. Every week I am posting a new challenge to help you learn about, live, and share your faith. Because it's the Year of Faith. So go to my Facebook page, Deacon Pedro, and join in. We just started this week so you won't have missed anything. Today on the program, Sister Marie Paul returns to show us the windows to the soul to two movies that couldn't be more different one from the other. That's in about 20 minutes. And as always, Andrew Santos will be here with our Saint of the Week. Sheridan will bring us up to date with what's happening. And Krista Matrenko will bring us our news. And most of you would agree that parenting can be difficult, and parenting teenagers more so. In our second half hour, we speak with Linda Crack, the Fortifying Families of Faith. She's going to be giving us some practical tips. And if electropop is your kind of music, then you're in luck because our featured artist of the week is the London-based band Uberfuse. We're going to speak with our frontman, Hal St. John, also in the second half hour of the show. But here they are now, Uberfuse, with their song, Call My Name, from their album, Seventh Wave. Like a dove is the silence 
Uberfuse with Call My Name from their album Seventh Wave. And we're going to be speaking with Hal St. John of Uberfuse in our second half hour. And in about 15 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Chris is here with our news. Pedro, I'm going to break a precedent for our new segment on Sultan Lake Radio. Uh oh. I don't <laughs> think we've ever talked about the British royal family. No, I don't think we ever have. No, I've never been caught up in the excitement over William and Kate's marriage. Um, but Kate's pregnancy has some interesting implications for Catholics in Great Britain. You were wondering where this was going, weren't you? Well, I was going to say, are they going to have a Catholic baby? Well, <laughs> um, they might no. not. Uh, they might not be able to if they want uh, him or her <laughs> to be in line for the throne. Well, as you know, succession to the throne goes to the oldest male, male child. Yep of the ruling king or queen. But with Kate's baby on the way, the parliament is rushing to change that law so that if the baby is a girl, she'll be next in line for the throne ahead of any yes. brothers that she might have, that baby. Mm -hmm. But some members of parliament are crying foul over the proposed changes because they ask why the bill doesn't reverse the long-standing ban on Catholics. Catholics are forbidden from becoming the monarch. Right. And the MPs are arguing that if we change the law, we're saying that the new law has been modernized. And by not changing the ban on Catholics while we're doing it, we're implying that this discrimination 
is okay. Uh-huh. Personally, Pedro, I'm somewhat undecided about this. On the one hand, shouldn't all royals be treated equally and have the same rights to their life of privilege? And on the other hand, I say, let the Anglicans deal with them. Yeah, interesting. Although, can I just interject? Because I think the law did get changed that they could marry a Catholic. Because it used to be that if they wanted to marry a Catholic, that person Mm, had to convert. mm -hmm. But I I think no longer that is the case. So So there are some changes. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Now, Pedro, what do you think is the largest Catholic statue in the world new uh, subject now catholic uh, statues well uh, rio the statue of the christ christ the redeemer the redeemer yeah, in, it's in, a good guess it's not uh no and there's actually a new larger statue in bolivia that was just inaugurated on february 1st it's dedicated to our lady of socavon uh-huh. it's in the city of oruro i'm hoping i'm pronouncing that right mm. it's 149 feet tall which is 22 feet higher than the famous Christ the Redeemer statue that sits over top Rio de Janeiro. Uh-huh. It was very expensive, cost 1.2 million. <laughs> and the president, Evo Morales, was there at the inauguration. And Our Lady of Socavon is the patroness of minors. But that's not even the largest, Pedro, because there's two larger than that. One of them is the Virgen de la Paz, Virgen de la Virgen Paz, de la Paz in Venezuela. And St. Rita of Cassia in Brazil is the largest at 183 feet, larger than them all. And it's interesting that all of these mega statues are in South America. Yeah, I'm not we, sure why we that like is. it big. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yes. Um, now, turning to pro-life issues in Canada, it's been said that abortion is the third rail of Canadian politics. No one wants to touch it. But lately, it's been getting a lot of attention in Canadian Parliament. Mm -hmm. The most recent issue involves babies born alive after abortions. A blogger was going through abortion statistics posted on a federal website. It said that over 10 years, there were 491 babies born alive after an abortion who later died. These abortions were carried out at 20 weeks of gestation or more, so second trimester Mm -hmm. or later. These are distinct from most abortions when, of course, the fetus is killed inside the mother, but these were born alive and then died. Three federal MPs, members of parliament, are calling for a police investigation of these deaths because in Canada, it's a crime to injure a child before birth when, as a result, that baby dies after birth. The statistics are raising a lot of questions like what happened in these abortions such that these babies were born alive in the first place. How long did the babies live and what exactly happened to the babies after they were born? Did they receive any treatment or were they even possibly killed? Now it's shedding light on an aspect of abortion that most people aren't aware of and so the debate continues here in Canada. Yeah, it's fascinating and it's it's probably more common than we think Mm. that babies Survive, surviving abortions and then being left to die. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Chris. Uh, our news producer, Chris Dimitrenko. Um, we heard from him. Now we'd like to hear from you. Let us know what your thoughts are on these news items or on anything you hear on this program. Send us your emails. Radio at saltandlighttv.org. Coming up is our Saint of the Week, so don't go anywhere. I'm Krista. I'm Lisa. And I'm Teresa Hansen. And, and we're, we're Seraphim. And you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. 
And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Hello, Deacon Pedro. So who's our saint today? Saint Josephine Baquita. Oh, I like her. She's yeah, good. and yeah, so I do I. I've yeah. been having a lot of conversations with people about her. Not with uh, her. Not with her. Not no. with her. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Yes. Um, her feast day was actually yesterday, which is February, February the 8th. 8th. Um, but I like her story so much that I thought I'd share it. Saint Josephine Baquita was born in Sudan. She's uh-huh. an African saint uh-huh. in 1869. Um, how even though she was born in Sudan, she bloomed marvelously in Italy. It, it, she basically trans. She was taken as a slave. Yeah, yes. uh, she transplanted continents, um, and right now people refer to her as the Black Mother, mm-hmm. Mother Moretta. Mm-hmm. Um, Bikita was not uh, given the name she received from her parents at birth. Bikita actually means fortunate, um, and it was the name given to her by her kidnappers. Uh-huh. Kind of interesting. She was sold in the markets of El Obeid and Khartoum. Khartoum uh-huh. was the capital of Sudan. Of Sudan yeah. um, now, today, uh, Sudan is, yeah. is split. Yeah. You know, we have Sudan and we have South Sudan. There, she experienced the physical and moral humiliations and sufferings of slavery. In the capital, Bikita was uh, bought by an Italian consul, and his name was Callisto Lagnani. For the first time since the day she was kidnapped, she realized with pleasant surprise, Deacon, that no one used the lash when giving her orders. You think like slaves would be whipped and controlled, but she never got that. Instead, she was treated with a lot of love and and uh, cordiality. Um, In the consul's residence, uh, Bakita experienced peace. She got warmth, moments of joy, um, even though veiled with nostalgia for her own family, whom uh, perhaps, you know, she thought that uh, she had lost forever. Yeah. Um, the political situation in Sudan forced the consul to leave for Italy. Uh, Bikita asked and got permission to go with, uh, with him, with the Italian consul, and a friend of his. And when they arrived in Genoa in Italy, um, they agreed to leave Bikita with um, this man named Mr. Michiali and his wife. She followed the new family, and they settled um, just in northern Italy. Now, when their daughter was born... Bikita became their, her babysitter and friend. Right. Um, the acquisition and management of a large hotel on the Red Sea um, forced Mrs. Michieli to move uh, there with her husband. Um, but on the advice of the administrator of the, um, of the property, Bikita was entrusted to the Canosian Sisters of the Institute of Catechumens in Venice. Okay. Venice, Italy. After several months in the catechumenate, Bikita received the sacraments of Christian initiation and was given a new name. Now, she was known as Josephine Bikita. That was in 1890. Um, afterwards, she was often seen kissing the baptismal font and saying, here I became a daughter oh, of God. Oh, wow. How very interesting. Mm-hmm. Bikita remained in the catechumenate where she experienced the call to be a religious and to give herself to the Lord in the Institute of St. Magdalene of Canosa. On December the 8th, 1896, Josephine Bikita was consecrated forever to God. Uh, For the next 50 years, she was a true witness to God. You know, she did various tasks. You know, she was known to cook, sew, um, do embroidery. She answered the door Mm -hmm. for visitors. As she grew older, of course, she experienced long, painful years of sickness. Um, To those who visited her and asked how she was, she would respond with a smile as the master desires. Mm. Um, It was Blessed Mary who freed her from her pain. Bikita's last words were, Our Lady, Our Lady. And her final smile testified to her encounter with the Lord's mother. So she died on February the 8th, 1947 at the Canosian convent. 
surrounded by her sisters. And she was beatified on May the 17th, 1992. That was during Pope John Paul II's uh, pontificate. And canonized in the Jubilee year on October the 1st. Excellent. Yeah, so her feast much. day was yesterday. Yes. That was uh, February, February the 8th. 8th. Thank you very much. Josephine Baquita, good saint. Uh, I should add this. Yes. Um, our technical director, Javier Capella, was asking us a question. How many saints are there in the Catholic Church? I don't know, but maybe that's the question we can put out to our listeners. Yeah, I've been meaning to extend that challenge out to our listeners. Especially faith challenge. Yeah, year of faith challenge. Tell us, write to us. How, how many, many saints? saints are there in the canon of the church? Either send us an email through Facebook, Salt Plus Light Radio, or email us radio at saltandlighttv.org. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Javier, I'll let you know next week what the answer is. There you go. Andrew Santos, our saint expert. Hi, this is Sean Carney with 40 Days for Life, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. Look us up. You can also find me on Facebook. Look up Deacon Pedro and like my page. I'm also on Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. Go there and find out all about my Year of Faith challenge. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Pedro. We really haven't talked since I know, then. since Christmas. And I, I was going to say, have you watched any good films since Christmas? I actually have watched some great films. Yeah? Um, yes. Um, I, I did pick two very different films to talk about today. Uh-huh. The first uh, film uh, release was really, it was accompanied by a real-life tragedy. And, of course, I'm speaking of The Dark Knight Rises oh, yeah. and the shooting in the Colorado Theater. So uh-huh. every time I think of this film, I pray for the people who were involved in that tragedy. Right. Um, but on its own as a film, uh, Dark Knight Rises is a worthy third in the Batman trilogy, um, I think. Um, in many ways, it's the ultimate comic book movie. While this trilogy has been a very thoughtful exploration of the strudi- struggle between good and evil, I do wish that the portrayal of evil and violence was more nuanced in this film. I, I found it overly sensationalized and quite edgy, uh, to the point that I was really surprised that the film was only rated PG here in really? Canada. Yeah, it almost feels like the, the violence in a video game. You almost feel like you're participating because you're getting such gritty detail and there's these hugely, massively violent, mass violence, really, so affecting the whole city of Gotham. But it's not as disturbing as the second one. No, definitely not, um, because the focus is more on uh, the, the, the violence. The, the bad guy is, is less nuanced, mm-hmm. um, as comic book um, yes, the antagonists often are. Yeah. Um, but I guess my, my real problem with the film is that we don't see the tragic consequences of mass violence in this film. Oh, you, you see okay. a couple people die that, that, you know, characters that we know of, but we're talking about, you know, nuclear warheads and, and really big stuff, and we're not always seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, the violence is definitely over the top. Not sure it was as necessary to be as it was, but the consequences of evil are shown in one place, mm-hmm. in Batman's life and in his character. 
he is personally touched by evil, and he grows through that. And that's my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to, you know, the, the, some small character development of the character that's going to become Robin, and we finally have a believable Catwoman, yes, um, which is great. Yes. Um, but really, my favorite part of the film is Batman's interior journey. So we start off the film with Bruce Wayne, that uh, other known, he's known as Batman, mm-hmm. who's been broken by his fight with evil mm-hmm. um, from the last film. And in this way, of course, he's very appealing, very vulnerable. Um, he does take a stand against the new evil that comes to Gotham. Um, and when he's trapped in this underground pit, this hopeless situation, um, truly hopeless, I mean, we really feel for his suffering um, in, in this film, um, he it's almost like we're hoping against hope because his struggles are so difficult. And even his, he's trying to climb out of a pit. So it's even the, the imagery that's used is really powerful about mm-hmm. hope. Mm-hmm. So we do see, I mean, sometimes hope is rewarded in this film and sometimes it's not. But the two times, the two big times that we see Batman's hope rewarded is really a gift that counteracts the other darkness in the, mo- right. in the movie. Right. And of course, Batman's a superhero who sacrifices himself for others. And that always can bring to mind for those of yeah. us who have faith the understanding of Jesus' sacrifice for right, us. Of course, so that would be the window to the soul. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Pedro, yes. my other film is goes to the completely other extreme. So I want to ask you, what do you think of when you think of a Disney movie? Oh, um, uh, uh, uplifting and predictable? Okay. Is well, that th- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Actually, yeah? That fits well for this Disney film. Oh, really? The, <laughs> the Odd Life of Timothy Green oh. is not your usual Disney film, uh-huh. um, but it does have both uplifting and um, both those characteristics. I don't think I've ever even heard of it. It's You know, it didn't get the attention it deserved. It's a very well-crafted family movie. It's full of cameos by well-loved actors. Oh, yeah. It's very well, very well acted. And it's a very whimsical kind of, uh, it's, and it's a child-friendly parable about the giftedness of life. And the short version of, of the plot is that chi- a childless couple, Cindy and Jim Green, bury their wishes for the child they cannot have in their garden. Hours later, a child emerges from the garden, little wow. Timothy Green, and he has leaves growing on his legs. Um, and so Cindy and Jim are amazed and delighted at this gift of new life. Um, and th- while they do get distracted about making him less odd so that he fits in better with their family in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, Timothy's uh, little originality and his his unique perspective really ends up changing the lives of the couple, um, of his friends, and of the town. But unlike many Disney stories, this story has a bittersweet ending. Um, so that even though the ending is quite predictable, um, the, uh, the, the positive messages of the film, the giftedness of life, the gift that each child is, the gift we have of the earth, and how responsible we are to use it in a, in a way that really reflects stewardship, um, th- this movie is full of good messages like that, so I highly recommend it oh, really? for good. for the family. Um, and I think the whimsical nature will keep adults engaged as well. Okay, good. So that one's definitely for the whole family. Is it animated? No. No, it's it's live. It's action. real. Oh, good. Yeah. So that's great for the whole family. Dark Knight Rises, maybe not for the whole family. No, definitely for I mean older teens, older teens. And, and adults. And okay, good. Thank you. Thank you so uh, much. I ha- I'll have to watch them. I haven't watched either. <laughs> Thank you. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul. You can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com. Hi, I'm Mark Matthews, your Hollywood undercover missionary, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro.
You can podcast the Salt and Light Hour for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also off iTunes. Our blog is at saltandlighttv.org slash blog. And here now is Sheridan. Hello, my friends. Just got back from New York. Yes. Yes, I was visiting with our peeps down at the Catholic Channel, Brett and Dave Dwyer. From uh, Busted Halo, yeah. Oh, Good yeah. show. So much fun. We were in there with them while they were recording, and Father Tom got in on the show as well. Father so Tom Rosica, yes, our, our boss. Yes. yes. Good. And uh, it, was, it was so much fun. So... Oh, anyways, <laughs> let's get into... Let's get into... <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> okay, so as I told you, uh, the one conference uh, which is being held out in the Archdiocese of Vancouver is right. up and coming. And so I thought I would touch base with Clayton Emo. Mm -hmm. He's the director of the Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry down there. So I thought we'd touch base with them. Clay, good to connect. So what is the lowdown with this one conference? Thank you, Sheridan. We're super excited. It's next Saturday, a week from now on... February the 16th, we're at the Vancouver Convention Center, and basically it's our annual event in the Archdiocese of Vancouver for people of all walks and all types of faith and right. level of faith to get connected with each other. So catechists, youth ministry leaders, young adult, RCA, prep, religious ed, teachers, whatever it may be, general prisoners, just a chance to celebrate our faith, celebrate our, our communion in Christ, our, our mission as a Catholic faith community, and really just to um, affirm each other, encourage each other, challenge each other, and be with each other in, in a nice kind of cool venue downtown in the heart of the city. Cool. So what's the rundown of the day? The rundown, it's a one-day conference, and the, the day basically includes uh, prayers, of course, and then general sessions. Our keynote speaker is uh, a nun named Sister Miriam Hydland. Okay. And she's coming up a very young, dynamic speaker. And also she's got some experience, you know, in some professional athletics. So I think that's going to really appeal to a lot of the young people. Oh, interesting. Then some, some breakout workshops, of course, culminating in mass with Archbishop Michael to end off the day. And then a quick dinner break. And then we're super excited to welcome back for a second year in a row our good Canadian Catholic friend Matt Marr for a worship concert to end off the conference. Oh, and that's and yeah, he'll be going Saturday night, and we're super excited about that. Oh, cool. And tell us about last year's conference. You know, how many people attended? What was it like? Yeah, la it was a wonderful success. Last year we had a thousand people in total, and it was really interesting because last Jeez, year's concert a was thousand. Actually, what's part of me? A thousand people. Yes, a thousand people. And the, the last year the difference was the concert is actually on the Friday night. So what ended up happening is you had 500 people register for the whole conference, meaning Friday and Saturday. Right. But then you had 500 people that only came for Saturday only, and then another 500 people that only came for the concert only. So there was always 1,000 people there, but technically there were 1,500. If you follow my math, there were 1,500 people that were actually touched by what we were doing on the weekend. So a huge success. Yes. It, you know, it's not all about numbers, but it is obviously one indicator, and and along with the numbers, we were happy with the spirit and basically a lot of the ministries that were uh, affirmed or spawned or, or born or just uh, revitalized by that, by that event last year. All good things. So what else is coming up in your schedule of events? Yeah, well, not to talk about just events, but events are exciting, obviously, and give a lot of life and a lot, breathe a lot of uh, air into, into our, our parish ministry. So we have two youth rallies coming up, um, okay. whereas one conference is for all ages, two in particular that we're looking for, for high school teens. And one of them is called Freedom. It's in Lent, and as it, the, the name might connotate, it's about uh, finding freedom in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Cool. So picture this, 20 priests coming for a youth reconciliation event, some witness, some testimony, some skits, drama, music, 
all culminating in, of course, our, the wonderful sacrament. And these priests, they come from all, walk, all the entire diocese, mm. and they're there to hear the confessions of young people. And a lot of them say, Sheridan, that it's a it's an affirmation of their priesthood, and that that's really cool. Oh, that's yeah, that's really cool to hear. Yeah. So that's in March, and then we recover, and then in May is our big youth rally. It's called Youth Day. It's been around for over 20 years now, a staple in our archdiocese. And this year, we're we're thrilled to bring up Mike Potten as our keynote speaker and Jacob and Matthew Band as our worship leader. So, those two both mainstays in in not only the states but more in Canada, and we're really excited to welcome them and pepper them with some Vancouver hospitality. Awesome. Well, Clay, all good things. I'm so glad that we got to connect. Thank you for speaking with us. And thank you for your time and always your advocacy and your support of what we're doing out here. We appreciate it. Okay. Cheers. That was Clayton Emo, the Director of the Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry with the Archdiocese of Vancouver. And for more information, visit rcav.org forward slash one. Excellent. Thank you very much. Coming up in our second half hour, there is help for parents of teenagers and a featured chat with Hal St. John of Uberfuse. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour, Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. It's probably an understatement to say that parenting can be challenging. For my wife and I, we decided before we had children that parenting was probably the most important job we would ever do. And so we did everything we could to prepare. We read, we researched, and there are lots of resources out there. Some very good, some not so good. But there aren't a lot of Catholic resources for parents, especially for parents of teenagers. And that's what led Linda and David Cracked to, fo- to found Fortifying Families of Faith. And to tell us all about it, we're now joined by Linda Cracked. Linda, welcome to the program. Thanks, Deacon Pedro. I'm sorry. I almost called your father there. You are a father, but you're I am a father, a yes. <laughs> yes. Thanks the, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. So, th- what what is the business of fortifying families of faith? Our vision is to do just that: fortifying families, or fortifying parents. Because I think parents are kind of being deluged today with all kinds of uh, mixed messages about their importance, their role, their uh, duties, their obligations, and they're really mixed up. You know, they are taking a second, our backseat to many different voices out there who are willing to step forward and say, no, I can do this better. Let me do sex education, for instance, in the school. Let me teach your children about this, that, and the next thing without necessarily um, having or sharing our values or, or those sorts of things. So parents are kind of taking a, a step back these days and, and in some ways just trying to be friends with their children rather than being the parent or the head of the household. So our point is to really go out and through our materials, you know, um, support parents and say you have this rightful duty as a primary educator of your teen or any child in the areas of faith, you know, sexual morality and right. and moral values, and you know, take it by the take it by the horns and and do it. 
Right. Now, you and your husband have seven children? We do, yes. And, and we have 13 and grandchildren. 13 grandchildren. So w- what led you to start this, this, this organization? How did it all begin? Well, it's, it actually started when our oldest son, well, the organization didn't start back then, but the idea started when he was a senior in high school. And I have always been very, ad- we've always been very adamant about teaching our kids about uh, sexuality and faith and, you know, the morals of family values in the home. Yeah. And I've been opposed to, you know, kind of like school-based sex education programs for years, and we fought some of the school-based clinic stuff here in St. Paul. And then when our son was a senior in high school and he was attending a Catholic high school, um, the, the priest and I had just started talking one day, and I said, you know, I think I'd really like to do a program for parents because it seems like so many times they're taking a step back, and he said, yeah, let's try it. And so we started a program called Daughters Forever, Sons Forever, in which we brought in um, different speakers. It was an all-day deal for parents and then their senior in high school. And um, that ran for about 10 years, and we had really good success. Parents loved it. The teen actually loved it as well. But it just seemed like, in my opinion anyway, that a lot of parents said, okay, did that, done that. Um, we're done with this. And then other parents came up to me and said, you need to record this or take it further because we really need to want to continue these discussions at home. Right. So so then that's what, and then I was chairman of the board of directors for the Couple to Couple League for Natural Family Planning for 10 years. So I was, yeah. you know, kind of focusing on that. And then when that term was coming to an end, I could see, you know, kind of a light at the end of the tunnel for myself and decided that I'd want to start this, this company. And that's what I did in 2008. So I took the Daughters Forever, Sons Forever concept and developed it into an actual book and curriculum for parents to, you know, cover it at home with their their teens. And now what we're doing in addition is we're taking it on the road. We've just been to Green Bay, Wisconsin, talked Uh to 40 uh, families there about how to get the program going and supporting them. And and now we're going to be going to a school called St. Agnes in St. Paul and also in um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana in April. Right. And we do it in English. We present the program in Spanish and in English. Oh, good. So our materials are in both languages. And uh, Viviana Soltro is my, um, you know, the, the teacher in Spanish, and I'm the teacher in English. So and we're developing some other parents who have interest um, to become leaders as well. So it's kind of taking off, and um, I hope that it does, because I think parents really, you know, and, uh, appreciate the the support and of and how course. to how to begin these discussions. Of course, so so it's very simple. Then you you have a, like a curriculum or some some some, yep. some like workshops that you run to help parents basically be better parents. Yeah, um, and I think that the uh, raw material is all there. You know, they are good parents. They're the ones handpicked by God. Um, we just need to fortify them and say that you know you can do this. Right, and the Daughters Forever, Sons Forever, you said it's also available as a book. If people just want to get the book, can, yes. can, can they do yep. that? So they, they don't have to it. necessarily register to do one of the seminars. Right, because we're not, we're not very many places yet. <laughs> okay. So they can, they can go online, they can just get the book, and there's four workbooks. There's a workbook for mothers, one for fathers, one for sons, and one for daughters. Okay. And then the text uh, is for both you know, parents and son or daughter. And then there's a set of CD or DVD talks that were those pre-recorded events that I to- told you about uh-huh. that took place about, you know, for a course of 10 years. So we recorded the different speakers, the last one, and so that's a part of the curriculum as well. Right. And I have a couple other, um, I'm in the process of writing a 
book right now for parents who are younger younger parents than teenage you know uh-huh. teenage, and then we also have some several other uh, curriculums, one called Black and White, and then I have a Surviving College uh, text as well. Right. So yeah. Good. So give us give us an idea of what sort sort of advice. Let's say there are, there may be parents listening right now who need help. What are a few of the most common challenges that you think parents of teens face, and what advice would you give them? Well, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges is the electronic media that's uh-huh. out there, and yeah. you know, like iPhones and <clears throat> iPads and the whole the whole bit. And young young parents are unsure as to whether they let their young youngster even have a Facebook page and all those things. And and my advice is no, they they should not have a Facebook page until you know the age of maybe sixteen or seventeen. And um, so communication. Person to person is what's really critical for younger kids. Mm-hmm. They need to learn how to communicate verbally instead of, you know, just texting or doing this brief stuff on phones that you know kids are doing. Right. That's one concern. Another one is dating, and and we suggest no dating in high school because, after all, what's the point? It just um, yeah. it's going to probably end. And then chastity is another you know issue, of course, with many parents when we talk about pornography. And um, staying away from the top, you know what to do about the computer because, of course, that's um, kind of a dangerous turf these days. It's a it's a great tool for both of us to do research and you know communicate on online. But for youngsters with questions who are alone and unsure of their own sexual identity or who they are, or what their parents even believe about certain things, that's uh-huh. kind of a you know a device that they use for getting answers without asking questions. Right. So what about very basic discipline. If parents have not been parenting uh, adequately when the kids are little, by the time they're teenagers, I sometimes find that it's, is it too late? What can a parent do to sort of regain that uh, authority? And maybe, uh, I I think authority is the right word, but but, but, um, in terms of disciplining or having that, that, uh, saving that relationship with their teenager. Well, um, there are four types of parents, and the authoritative are the best. It's research shows that time and again. They um, turn out the kids who are the most successful later on. They're more sure of themselves. They're assertive. They're, you know, they do what they want to do. And that's what I would tell parents is don't uh, be afraid of that role or that title of being an authoritative parent. Wow. Authoritarian is the one that's more negative, you know, associated yeah. with authority. But authoritative parents answers questions. They, um, you know, preempt. Uh, problems. They they are very involved with their kids. They're you know, so if they haven't done a, a good job up until then, or they're just trying to be chums with the kids, they really just need to sit down with them and say, you know, um, everybody makes mistakes, and we just got to really kind of reinvent this wheel here because uh, I think we've kind of lost some time here with you. You probably don't even know who we are. What we don't know necessarily who you are because we've just lost so much time here and. We need to change this around and and reset some rules and you know communication is the biggest part here and some of the kids might look at that and say well it's too late here for me but it, you know this you've lost us back then but kids don't do that they really do want to connect with their parents and they're going to listen yeah I think it's the parents who might think it's too late not the kids yeah. so, so so basically t- to be authoritative doesn't mean you have to be a tyrant exactly that's that's authoritarian, you know. Yes, An authoritative person is one who's involved and interested in someone else's life, and they understand their role. They are 
in charge of these kids. They are responsible. Yeah, and the and the, the structure are, are clear. Linda, we have to leave it there. But it's been good talking to you. I I, I hope that this is inspiring some of our parents, who are our listeners to uh, to learn more, to, to be a little more assertive in their role as parents. I know that there are a couple sessions coming up. You mentioned them, some in your area at, in St. Paul, uh, Minnesota. But yeah. I know you're also going to Baton Rouge for April. So all that information is on your website so people can find it, it there at yeah. familiesoffaith.org. And they can send me an email or, you know, if they have some questions, Absolutely. You know, they're free to call. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Thank you for sharing a little bit of what you do and about your family with us today. And thank you for, you know, having me on and appreciate what you do for all families. You're welcome. Linda Cracked, together with her husband David, run Fortifying Families of Faith. You can learn more about what they have to offer at familiesoffaith.org. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is our featured band of the week, Uberfuse, with their song Credo. Credo in unum deum patrem, creatorem, celiatere, creatorem, visibilium, creatorem, invisibilium. Credo in unum Jesum Christum, Dominum Filium, Dei, Natum Ex Patre, Deum Ex Deo, Natum Ex Patre, Luminis Lumine.
That was Uberfuse with Credo. Now, most people would not think of putting the words electropop and faith in the same sentence. But when it comes to the London-based British band Uberfuse, that's exactly what it is. Uberfuse is comprised of three people, Sherry, Hal, and Nico. Their musical vision is to infuse what could be seen as a dying tradition of Western contemporary pop with new life. But it's not just about music. They're outspoken and thought-provoking. Their lyrics carry strong socio-political messages and also messages that are biblical and of faith. And that is probably very unique for a band that is part of the current UK pop scene. And I came across Uberfuse a few months ago and I'm very happy to have their frontman, Hal St. John, joining us now on the phone from London. Hal, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So, so Hal, uh, uh, people are listening to the name Uberfuse. They probably don't even know how to spell that. Where did that name come from? Well, it's, it's a kind of corruption of the, the German word Uber, which is spelled U-B-E-R, but we kind of like corrupted it and spelled it O-O-B-E-R. Um, so U- Uber as in like a lot? Well, yeah, Uber kind of means exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask Uh Uh-huh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, um, and the concept of fusing is is like bringing things together which traditionally may be kept apart. So in the context of what we're doing, we're bringing a kind of electro-pop into conversation with faith, um, perhaps perhaps in a unique way. So you, um, so you, sorry, so you did set out intentionally to bring in those two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other, uh, this style of music and faith or, or, or sort of social messages. Well, I mean, certainly here in the UK, it's not cool to um, bring your faith into, into, into pop music. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not cool here either. You know, a lot of musicians uh, think, oh, I want to be a successful musician, so I have to pretend that I don't really take any of that stuff seriously. But we we kind of thought, well, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to park our faith somewhere and then get on with our music and then go back to our faith? And we thought, well, why don't we just, just you know, if we just let it influence our music. So, right. And that's what happens. We don't try and separate faith from music. Right. I mean, both, we, we've all kind of, kind of grown up um, and in a church context, playing music in a, in a church context. And uh-huh. I suppose, again, you know, you're, you do that and you think to yourself, well, you know, why do I have to, why do there have to be two worlds, the world of church music and the world of um, secular pop music? No, why can't uh, we just and that makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense because uh-huh. most, most artists are, are bringing their own belief systems into their lyrics anyway. So why, if your belief system is a Christian belief system, why should we leave it out? But you, this music, now, you, your music is well-received in the secular, like in the club scene in, in the UK? Yeah, we, we, we've had a, f- a bit of success in the UK club scene, um, particularly with a track called Flicker, um, uh-huh. which was, was mixed by um, a, a well-known UK DJ called Love Rush UK. And yeah, it did quite well in the, um, the dance dance kind of charts here right. in the UK. And what kind of response do you get to the fact that some of your music uh, it has messages of faith? Um, well, you know, the, the, there are various ways that you can 
kind of in, in, introduce your faith in, in, into your music. And one way, obviously, is to, is to use explicit language. Uh-huh. Um, but we've done that in one or two tracks, particularly when we were asked to play um, at World Youth Day in Madrid and also when we were asked to write the youth anthem for the paper visit right. um, UK. So we did use explicit um, references to um, religious themes, but um, more often than not, what we do is um, we talk about what we refer to our faith in, in, in kind of not, not not hidden. It's not hidden messages, but in kind of um, using themes like light and um, not necessarily referring explicitly to things that are religious. So, for example, in Flickr we say, "The hidden light that shines goes by any other name." Um, it is love. It is life. It is one eternal flame. So that you know, you can't you can't be offended by that if you're not religious. But um, yeah, but and there's you can a message. Get it if you are religious. You see what I mean? Right. Um, in uh, you mentioned earlier in in uh, 2010 when the Holy Father was in England, you 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 guys were chosen to write the theme song for the meeting with young people in Hyde Park. The song "Hearts Cry." Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, we had a we had a song uh, called Hearts Cry, which which was definitely inspired by uh, I think it, a, a, um, a, a verse from the Book of Revelations about uh, when God stands at the door of our heart and knocks, um, mm. we're invited to open the door and let Him in. So it was a song that reflected really on that that kind of biblical idea. Um, and the bishops who were organising the papal visit heard the track and thought, Wow, this perfectly uh, matches the theme of the people visit which was um heart speaks unto heart so mm. the idea of heart, you know the, the something talking within your heart um, corresponded um, uh, um their theme co- corresponded with our song and so they thought why not make our song into the youth anthem which is what it finally ultimately became um mm. So, uh, yeah, uh, we were getting some weird headlines uh, in the press, like, who um, views the Pope's favorite electro-pop band? Right, electro-pop. I'm not sure he knows of any other electro-pop. <laughs> no. If, if he, yeah, so um, it's a bit weird. So, if, if your music is being well-received in the secular, for example, the club scene, is it also being well-received in the Catholic scene? I mean, if the bishops knew about it enough to select your song. Yeah, it, um... Well, as we all know, we Catholics are very discerning and we don't really get too excited unless something really, really um, connects with us. And so, but as I say, we've all come up from um, the church music scene. So we're obviously um, well connected at grassroots level, at parish level. But um, you know, as we as we do these more high profile things, then we appeal to a wider audience. Um, which includes Catholics. Um, right, for for example, course. last night we were performing at a, at a, a kind of youth event uh, uh-huh. in central London to prepare the pilgrims who are going to Brazil this uh-huh. year for the, for the World Youth Day. And we were playing um, our song, which is going to be played at the World Youth Day song, at uh, World Youth Day yeah. event in July. Yeah, it got it got very well. It got a very good um, reception. Right. So, okay. So, but, well, that's when it answers your question. But yeah, we do, we are we are known within the Catholic community as well. So, but when you say that you're involved at a parish level, you don't 
play at mass? I mean, do you certainly use this music at mass, or do you do some sort of variation of what you do at mass? <coughs> obviously, we play. We, uh, I mean, I, I yeah, we know is the answer. We don't. Obviously, we don't play our our music is kind of it's like pop music, which is I suppose the form for that is is a gig rather than a, a, a liturgy. Yeah, but um, we do occasionally um, get asked to play some things in, like like the track we believe. Um, uh-huh. Or credo that that was written for the mass, um, and so yeah, I mean, some of it, not all of it by any means um, is liturgical, but some of it can some, be. Used. Some of it can be, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It, it, briefly, because we're almost out of time. So you you said that you were in Madrid World Youth Day. I was there as well. Um, are you planning on going to Rio? Are you being part of that that uh, youth festival as well in for World Youth Day uh, this year? I, I'm not sure if I can say this, but I think I uh, well, I'm going to say it. anyway. We've been oh, so it's it, official. Think, yeah. I, anyway, anyway, we've been asked by the organisers of um, World Youth Day to um, to sing uh, sing the official. Um, Brazilian anthem in English, so we're, we're providing the English version of the official Brazilian um, World Youth Day anthem, which naturally enough is not in English. It's no, in. it's not. So, um, are you, so you're going to record the English version of the World Youth Day theme song? Yeah, we were asked to record it in English because the World Youth Day official Brazilian, um, the, the Brazilian World Youth Day official song. It's in um, Portuguese, yeah. Uh, is naturally enough in Portuguese. Yes. But so obviously there'll be pilgrims from in from English speaking countries who won't necessarily understand Portuguese. So they asked us to do a version of the Portuguese uh, song in in English. Uh-huh. But but keeping the original um, uh, tune, um, mm. um, identical kind of tempo, identical. Song the accompaniment. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so we've done that. But in addition to that, we they they asked us to do a, a kind of like a UK pop <laughs> version of it, which um, we did, and uh, it's slightly faster than the original, uh, which is at 98 beats per minute. Ours is 128 beats per minute, so it go, ours is more likely to go down um, to go down quite well in in a club context. Right. So you did the the electro pop version of the theme song. That's good. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, Hal, that's all the time we have, but it's been really good chatting with you and it's been really good um, communicating with Sherry and and learning about what you do and uh, keep it up because there's there's nothing like breaking into that secular scene with with a message that's a, a little different than the regular message of secular music. So thank you for doing that and maybe we'll see you in Rio. Oh, yes. Love to, love, love to catch up in Rio if you're there. For uh, sure. Anyone, anyone there. Thank yeah. you very much. Okay, thank you. Hal St. John is the front man for the British pop band Uberfuse. You can learn all about them at their website, uberfuse.com. That's O-O-B-E-R-F-U-S-E.com. I'm going to put that link on our site as well so you can find it easily. Here they are with their song, not the theme from Rio, but this is based on the theme for World Youth Day 2013. Their song is titled Go.
single go and that will take us to the end of the program remember that you can stream or podcast all our salt and light hour programs at salt and slash radio that's also where you can now listen to uninterrupted music all day long christian music like never before thanks to the wonderful support from artists like uberfuse go to our website and learn how you can listen online or on the go on your mobile devices and remember the great year of faith challenge Look me up on Facebook, Deacon Pedro, or on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM, for all the details. Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Started